Good morning. Are you here? All right. I'm so glad that you are, and it's good to be back. Uh, we've been on vacation, and I've got my tan, and I'm ready to come back to work. Actually, I didn't get a tan, but it was still good. I want to tell you what I'm going to do next Sunday. Today is kind of a standalone message, but next Sunday I'm starting a brand new series called For Better or For Worse. It's a marriage series for four weeks. And uh, some of you I know, when you hear that, you're thinking, oh no, I've got to sit through this for four weeks. You know, because some of you, you're not married, you're single or you're widowed, and it's like, I don't need a marriage series. I get that. But also understand that there are so many in our church family who do. And I tell you, one of the things, Lord willing, that I'm going to be talking about um, in that series is, Lord willing, I'm going to take one message and talk about being single in a married world. Uh, whether you're divorced or widowed or never married, but we talk about being single in a married world. So lots of different topics we're going to cover in that series. The reason I'm telling you now is because it is that one of those kind of series. It'd be a good series to invite somebody to come and, and listen, come be a part of our service. Maybe you've got a neighbor and you know they're having some problems or you've got a co-worker uh, who is struggling or, or maybe you just have a friend who wants a better marriage. They're not struggling, but, but they just want to improve their marriage or whatever it may be. It would be a good time for you to invite people to come back or to come for the first time uh, to Mount Airy. That will be, Lord willing, starting next Sunday. Today I want to ask you a question. You don't need to answer it out loud, but I do want you to think about this. Do you ever get the feeling that there are certain people who'd like to change your biblical beliefs? Maybe it's a spouse who doesn't understand why you go to church as much as you go to church. Maybe it's a boss who's frustrated because you refuse to fudge the numbers on the report. Maybe it's a friend at school who's trying to convince you that homosexuality is not that big of a deal. Maybe it's a college professor who thinks that you're ignorant because you believe the Bible is the Word of God. There are all kinds of people who want to sometimes shape us, force us, persuade us to change our beliefs and our lifestyle. I mean, it's like people aren't satisfied anymore to just disagree with you. Now they want to stop you. Or even better, now they want to change you. The stories seem to be appearing in the news more and more frequently now. I don't know if you're keeping up with this, but it just seems more and more frequently Christians and Christian groups are being censored at an alarming rate. In fact, right before I went off for vacation, I just did a little scan of the internet, and, and these are all stories that I found very, very quickly, very easily. These are all stories that happened either in July or August. For example, InterVarsity Christian Student Group forced off campus at the University of Iowa. You know why they were forced off campus? Because this Christian group said anybody can come, everyone is welcome, but if you want to be a leader in InterVarsity, which is a Christian organization, you need to be a Christian in order to be a leader. And the school said that's discriminatory and kicked them off campus. Or, or how about this one? A Virginia couple threatened with eviction for hosting a Bible study in their home. In July, the community realty company sent a notice to Kenneth and Liv Hogg, who live at the Evergreens at Smith Run in Fredericksburg, informing them they must either halt their Bible study or be evicted by August 31. 
This happens every day almost. It, headlines appear all the time. Here's another one from, uh, regarding Facebook. This lady is, is known as uh, an activist mom because she talks about social issues from a biblical perspective and Facebook recently banned her for hate speech. She has 600,000 Facebook followers, but they banned her for her hate speech, which was simply talking about her religious beliefs as, as it applies to society and the issues in society. Or how about this one? Lesbian Sue Christian Senior Center over biblically-based policy banning same-sex cohabitation. That was just August 23rd. Or the one that you probably have heard about the most uh, regards a, a billboard. We're going to go ahead and put that on the screen. Uh, there's a billboard that, that appeared. This is actually a, a copy of it or a picture of it. This billboard uh, occurred in, was posted in Southern California. And it's for Greg Laurie, the Harvest Crusades. He's been having these Harvest Crusades for 29 years. 100,000 people come to these crusades. For 29 years, they've been advertising this. And for 29 years, they've been having tens of thousands of people come to faith in Christ every year at their Harvest Crusades. This year, this billboard was protested because it was offensive. Any idea? You probably read the story. Any idea why it was offensive? Because he's holding a Bible in his hand. Now, you don't even see the word Bible. It doesn't have the word Bible. It's just a black book. But, of course, it is a Bible. It represents a Bible. And people saw that in Southern California, and they complained to the billboard company. Greg Laurie said, I, you know, I tried to be cooperative, so we changed the ad. We took the Bible out of the ad. They still complained about it, and the billboard company took the billboards down because some people felt like that black book in his hand was offensive. See, this is the kind of world we now live in. Every month, it seems that there are new stories of people who demand that we compromise who we are, and we compromise what we believe. Every month, it seems there's more and more pressure. And it reminds me of that verse in Romans 12 too that you probably know very well. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. J.B. Phillips translated that years ago this way, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. The message translation translates it this way, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's a good translation. But we all face that temptation, don't we? We all face that temptation because there's somebody out there around you who wants to change who you are and how you live out your faith. So how do we take a stand for our faith in a world that doesn't have any? That's what I want to talk about today. How do you take a stand for your faith in a world that doesn't have any? How do we live without compromise in a world that is actively trying to squeeze us into their mold? Well, it might surprise you to find out there is a book in the Bible that addresses that very issue. And it may also surprise you to know that the main character in this book was a teenager. It's a fascinating story of this young teenager who refused to be squeezed into the mold that people wanted him to fit. And he faced enormous pressure to change and to become like the people around him. And yet he stood in a pagan society for what he believed in. 
Warren Wiersbe said, In a world in which people find it easy to do what's right in their own eyes, the Lord is searching for men and women who will do what's right in His eyes and dare to be resolute. So I want to talk to you today about how to live without compromise. I want you to open God's Word as we read the story of this teenager, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me give you the context before we read the text. For decades, the prophets had warned the rulers of Judah that their idolatry, their immorality, and their wickedness would lead to the nation's ruin. For decades, the prophets had a singular message. And the message was this, repent. Prophet after prophet after prophet came to God's people in God's land, declaring the same thing, repent. And a hundred years before Daniel was even born, there's a prophet named Isaiah who came on the scene. And he declared not just that the people of God needed to repent, but he declared that if the people of God did not turn back to God, that a godless nation named Babylon would one day invade their land and take them as captive out of this land back to Babylon. That seemed like such an impossible scenario to these people because they were God's people living in God's land. And so God sent another messenger named Micah with the same message that if they did not repent, if they did not turn from their sin, if they did not turn back to God, that God would send the godless nation of Babylon to bring judgment on His people. And then there was, during Daniel's day, there was an old prophet named Jeremiah who had the same message. The same warning, but the people turned a deaf ear to God and to God's prophets. That's why this book opens the way it does. Daniel chapter 1 verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of what, church? Of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And then I want you to notice very closely in verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It was not because the king of Babylon was so powerful. It was not because the king of Babylon had such a mighty military army. No, the Bible says the Lord delivered these people into the hands of the king of Babylon. He carried them off to the temple. Uh, These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Fascinating. No greater tragedy could befall God's people than this. The tragedy of losing the possession of their promised land. Losing their temple and all of its contents. There is no greater tragedy than that tragedy. But God would rather have His people live in a shameful pagan land than have His people live like pagans in His holy land. So God moved them. Now the reason you need to know that is because Daniel is one of the people that God moved. Daniel is one of the people that God took out of Judah, out of Jerusalem, and took him as a captive or a prisoner to Babylon. Now, you need to understand this about Daniel. Scholars believe that when this happened, Daniel was probably only about 14 or 15 years old. Imagine the terror of being ripped from your home when you're a 14 or 15-year-old. Imagine the the sheer terror of 
being torn away from your parents when you're 14 or 15 by a soldier and taken to a foreign land. Imagine what it must have been like for him mile after mile after mile to go further away from the only place you've ever called home. Imagine what it must have been like when he looked back and saw Jerusalem for the last time, wondering if he'd ever see it again. And he didn't. Daniel spent the remainder of his life in Babylon. Now, thankfully, Daniel had a few friends with him. And the scripture tells us about this. And these were incredible young men that, that he, were, he was friends with. But let's look at verse 3 and 4. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Now, these dedicated, incredibly gifted young men Talented young men, handsome young men, smart young men were chosen for a task. But it was more than a task. For them, it was also a trial. And the trial was this. Would they adapt themselves? Would they adapt their beliefs? Would they change who they are in order to fit in with the people around them? The purpose of this training was to do just that. The purpose of this training was to change them from Jews into Babylonians. The goal was to try to get them to forget their homes, forget their lifestyle, forget their godly Jewish heritage and faith, and to give them a new name and a new home, and to give them new ideas and to teach them a new language. And for three years, they would invest in them in this way. For three years, they would brainwash them, if you will. For three years, they would pressure them and teach them how to think and how to live like Babylonians. All this pressure led up to a big decision for Daniel. And the decision would be this. Would he turn his back on his heritage and become a Babylonian would he take this place of honor serving the king of Babylon? Or would he stand and honor God and hold on to his faith? And so let's read this text and see what happens. Among, verse 6, among these, among these outstanding young men, referred to verse 4 and 5, among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And you may say, Pastor, I, I don't recognize, I mean, I recognize Daniel, but I don't, I don't really recognize the other guys. But if you read the next verse, I bet they sound familiar. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Sound familiar now, doesn't it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. And here's the goal. The goal is to squeeze them into what the people around them wanted them to be. And if you're not careful, it's easy to get caught up in that. We live in a society just like that. 
You don't have to live in the days of Daniel to know what that feels like. We live in a society, a world that still wants God's people to conform to their standards. They still want God's people to conform to their rules and to their lifestyle. They still want God's people to to conform and be like them. And they want to squeeze us into what we should believe and how we should live. And, And folks, it's so easy to get squeezed into that. It's so, if you're not careful, if you're not deliberate, it's so easy to compromise your view and to compromise your lifestyle and to compromise your beliefs. Let me tell you a story. I I told this story about six years ago. I was looking at my notes. I've preached this text before, but not this message. This is a new message, but I'm going to use the same illustration I used six years ago. And the reason I tell you that is because if it sounds familiar, yes, I'm repeating the illustration, but not the message, okay? And if it sounds familiar, laugh anyway. All right? True story. I, I love to ride my motorcycle. Honda Shad 1100. Um, first real street bike I've had. I grew up riding dirt bikes. And so uh, 2005, I, I got this Honda Shadow 1100. And, and I knew enough about motorcyclists to know that there's kind of a brotherhood among motorcyclists. You know, when you're going down the road, if, you're, if another motorcycle comes, you know, in the opposite direction, there's kind of this brotherhood where you kind of acknowledge the other guy as he's passing you. So I knew about this kind of brotherhood, and I, I had my street bike, and I'm out here, and I'm riding, and, and I see this motorcyclist coming towards me, and so I raised my hand and kind of wave. He didn't wave. Here's what he did. He had his hands up here on, on the handlebars, and when I waved, he went, slid his hand back up there. Oh, that's strange. What's he doing? Pointing at my tire or something? I mean, and so I'm going down the road, and, and, you know, 30 minutes later, come up on another motorcyclist coming again towards me. And so I'm trying to be the friendly motorcycle guy, so I wave. And he goes, put his hand back up there. Now, I'm a quick learner. About 10 minutes later, I'm going down the road. I see a motorcyclist coming towards me. This, this is what I did. Watch. That's right. I got it now. I got it. See another motorcycle? Hey, how you doing? Yep, good to see you. Yep. And then you see, a, you see another motorcycle. A couple of days later, you see a guy coming down the road, and he waves. He's like, rookie. Here, here's the reason I tell you that story. It's so easy to change what you do because of what somebody else does. Get that? So easy, just, and it really doesn't matter if it's just a wave on a motorcycle. But it's so easy to feel the pressure to change what you do based on what somebody else does. It's so easy to let somebody else squeeze you into their mold. So how do we, how do we do like Daniel and Refuse to bend. How do we do like Daniel? Refuse to blend. How do we do like Daniel and do what's right in God's eyes? What's required if you're going to have an uncompromising faith and live an uncompromising life? I think the essence of it all is in verse 8. Look at that verse. But Daniel. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. 
how do you stand for your faith? How do you keep the world from causing you to compromise? How do you resist the world's tremendous pressure to become like them? We stand our ground the same way Daniel did, and here's how you stand your ground. You resolve to do it. You, you need to note that word, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. You see, verse 8 is the key verse in the entire chapter, but it's also the key verse in the entire book of Daniel. Because what God did in Daniel's life in verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8, and what Daniel decided in chapter 1, verse 8, really set the stage for all that God was going to do in his life throughout the rest of the book. You see, when you read the whole book in chapter 1, he's a teenager. But when you get to the end of the book, he's an old man, he's an old prophet. And the reason that he became an old prophet that God used in a mighty way, one of, the, one of the great late prophets that God used in the Old Testament days, the reason he was such a great prophet was because of something he decided when he was a teenager. Daniel, it says in verse 8, resolved in his heart. You see, it takes guts to say no. Whether, whether it was 2,600 years ago or last night, it takes guts to say no to a compromising world. So how do we do this? How do we resolve in our heart? How do we refuse to compromise our faith? I'm going to give you one point, and then I'm going to follow it up with an application. Here's the one point. Draw the line where God draws the line. Draw the line where God draws the line. You see, the word resolved means to determine within yourself, to determine within your heart. It's an inner conviction that allows you to stand for your beliefs Daniel didn't make a fuss when they tried to change his name or when they did change his name. He did not object when they taught him the Babylonian literature. He did not say anything when they tried to teach him another language. But when they tried to feed him the king's meat, that's when he drew the line. Now what was it about this food that caused him such concern? We need to understand something. There's no Old Testament prohibition against taking another name. There's no command in the Old Testament about learning another language. There's no prohibition about learning uh, pagan literature even. But there is, however, a very strong prohibition against eating that food that has been offered to a pagan idol. And Daniel knew that the food of the king was always offered to the pagan idols. And so where God said no, Daniel said no. Now, don't miss this, church. When Daniel had to choose between God's Word and the king's food, Daniel chose the Word of God. And some of you are faced in those, those kind of decisions, those kind of situations, where you have, to, you have to choose between God's Word and your job. God's Word and that friendship. God's Word and your beliefs. God's Word and your integrity. You and I are faced with those kind of decisions all the time. Choices where you have to choose between God's Word and something that's very enticing. Because would you notice something in verse 5? This was not just any food. Look at verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Hey, everybody look up here and tell you something. This was not a moon pie and RC cola. This was the king's food. This was the good stuff. This was the good stuff. And Daniel had to decide God's word 
or the good stuff. And I'm probably talking to somebody and you're wrestling with that decision right now. Satan is trying to tell you that the good stuff is in the arms of another woman. The good stuff's in the arms of another man. Or Satan's trying to tell you that, that the good stuff that you're really looking for is found in a bottle. Satan is trying to tell you that the good stuff is found in that place where you shouldn't be. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody today where you're wrestling right now, aren't you? You're wrestling because the king's food smells good. And it can be yours for the taking. You see, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And the word defile means he didn't want to be corrupted by it. But you need to understand something. Daniel was tested in this every day. It wasn't like he decided one time, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's food. He, he was tested and tempted by the sights and the smells of the king's food every day. In fact, he had to resolve within himself every breakfast, every lunch, every dinner. He had to resolve within himself, I will not defy myself by that. I don't know what that says to you, but you know what it says to me? It says to me, godliness is never accidental. Godliness is always intentional. Victory is never coincidental. Victory is always intentional. Both require daily resolve that says, I will obey God regardless of the consequences. And if you want to live a life without compromise, you're going to have to resolve to do it. Because it's not going to happen accidentally. That was my one point. Let me give you this other application, this one application. I want, you to, I want to give you a word of encouragement before we leave. I want you to notice something. Number two, here's the application. God takes notice when you resolve to live for Him. God takes notice when you resolve to live for Him. Look in verse 9. In verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. In verse 9, what, what, at least in the NIV, what's the first two words in verse 9? Say it louder. Now God, now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. See, God was watching. God was listening. God was taking note of how Daniel was taking a stand for his faith. God was taking note that he was being obedient to the Word of God. And when he saw what Daniel was doing, then he got engaged in what Daniel was doing. Now God. Sometimes we forget to put the now God factor in there, don't we? The now God factor that once you do your part, now God will step in and do what only he can do. Once you decide to be obedient, now God will step in and honor your obedience. Once you decide to be faithful, now God will step in and show his faithfulness to you. Read the text. Now God had caused the official to show sympathy, favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? And the king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. 
So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier, better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine and they were to drink and, uh, that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave, not the, not the Babylonians. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all, time, all kinds. Throughout the book of Daniel, you will see this pattern. Daniel lived with courage and conviction. And God honored him. And God used him because of it. Throughout the book of Daniel, you'll see that same thing occurring over and over again. Daniel living with courage and conviction. God honoring him and God using him because of it. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I've come today to tell you that God will reward your faithfulness to him. You see, do you want to resist the tidal wave of temptation? To bend the tidal wave of temptation? To blend in? Do you want to resist it? Here's what you need to understand. You will do it on purpose or you will not do it at all. Daniel resolved in himself not to defile himself the king's food. See, when we fail to draw the line and say no where God says no, you know what happens? We become irrelevant to the kingdom. When we don't live like a Christian, when we don't talk like a Christian, when we don't walk like a Christian, now all of a sudden we lose our identity. As God's people. We lose our integrity. We, we, we lose our voice to say anything for the kingdom. Now, the reason that Daniel was an old prophet at the end of the book and God used him in such a mighty way was because of the decision he made when he was a teenager. To honor God. God honored him. Daniel resolved in his heart not to lose his integrity. He resolved in his heart not to defile himself. You see, I, I just think life gets a lot more simpler if there's a, a lot less costume changes. If we just decide how we're going to live and who we are. We're, we're a child of God. We're going to live like a child of God. Stop trying to live on both sides of the street. Stop trying to live like a Christian today and, and be with the crowd the next day. No, you just need to decide which side of the street you're going to live on. Stop the costume changes and just decide, I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going to be a woman of God. But it's not going to happen by accident. You will have to resolve to do it. And you'll have to resolve to do it again tomorrow. You'll have to resolve to do it again the next day. You'll have to resolve to do it the next day. But as you honor God, God honors you. About four weeks ago, I was weed-eating around a utility building. And, and I, I came around the utility building just like this with my weeder. I was just going around the edge of the building. When I came around to that corner, there was a snake right there. You need to understand something about your pastor. I hate snakes. I hate them. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't you grow up in East Tennessee where they handled snakes? That was, that was a different tribe. <laughs> That's not my tribe. I hate snakes. People, Pastor, what kind of snake was it? It was a bad snake, all right? Any snake that is alive is a bad snake. Don't, don't, oh, oh, black snakes are good. No, they're not. Black snakes are snakes. 
Green snakes, no, they're not. Green snakes are snakes. So anyway, I, I'm weed eating, and I, I come across this snake. Now, I want you to know something. I, I, I was pretty proud of myself. I think I have progressed. I don't know how. I'm not as, uh, as afraid of snakes as I used to be. Because you used to, if I came around that building and I saw that snake, I would have dropped my weed eater and ran for the house. And I would have bought a new weed eater. I ain't going back there. That's where that snake is. But I'm going to show you what I did. You'll be proud of your pastor. I'm going to show you what I did. I came around, I saw that snake, and I stopped. Now, I wasn't frozen in fear. I don't know why. But I just stood there, and I looked at him. And he raised that ugly head, and he looked at me. We were eyeball to, well, not eyeball to eyeball, but... <laughs> we were face to face. Well, he was down there, but we were looking at each other. And I just stood there. And I wasn't going to move. I don't know why. To use the language of Daniel, I resolved in my heart, I'm not moving. And I stood there and I looked. And of course, to be honest with you, part of my thought process was, I got a weed eater in my hand. If you take a step, I'm going to cut your head off. <laughs> Snakes can't take a step, but you know what I'm talking about. So I stood there and we had a standoff. I was looking at him, he was looking at me, I was looking at him, he was looking at me. We had a standoff. And I promise you, I'm not exaggerating, I promise you this is what happened. We, we stood there for a while looking at each other. I took a step back, and he took a step back. I've never seen a snake just go, he just kind of went back. And then I just stood there, and I looked at him. And all of a sudden, he did what I did not expect him to do. He turned around and slithered back under the building. That's all right. Then the Lord reminded me of that verse, James 4, 7. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see, for some of you, you've come face to face with the devil lately, haven't you? At work, in your family, your neighbor. Who, you, you just come face to face with the devil again, and, and he's raised his ugly head again. And you're, you feel that pressure to, to compromise. You feel that tension to become like the people around you. You feel the tension to go along to get along. I get that. But my Bible tells me that if you'll stand and resist the devil, he will flee from you. Sometimes the only way you're ever going to do that is to resolve in your heart that you will not defile yourself anymore. Just resolve in your heart. You're done with it. Just resolve in your heart. I'm choosing God's Word over whatever. I'm choosing to be obedient to God's Word. Just resolve in your heart that you're going to live for God. And you stand toe-to-toe with Him and resolve in your heart you will be faithful to God and to God's Word and He has no choice but to eventually turn around and go the other way. Daniel, a teenager, 14, 15 years old, made a decision that shaped the rest of his life. 
You can do that too. You don't have to be 14. You can be 41. You can be 51. You, you can make a decision today that will still shape the rest of your life. You resolve in your heart. I'm going to obey God. Regardless of the consequences, regardless of the cost to me, I don't know what its future is going to look like, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to leave the consequences to Him. Let's change your name. Not to a Babylonian name. Let's just change your name to Daniel. Not real. Don't, don't go to the courthouse tomorrow and start that process, but maybe just start talking to one another. Hey, hey Daniel, how you doing? Maybe you got a buddy that's trying to hold you accountable. Say, hey, would you just do this? Just When you see me, just text me and say, hey, Daniel, how you doing? Hey, Daniel, you staying away from her? Hey, Daniel, don't give up. Not now. Not ever. Let's pray about that. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that you are Lord and you are God and that you are indeed the one we need. You are indeed the one who can help us. And as we resolve in our heart to live for you, resolve in our heart to be obedient to you, may you honor our faithfulness as we seek to honor you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.